This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Do you say and do things when drinking that you regret the next day? Is alcohol a problem for you or someone you really care about? Over the next hour, we'll find out how people just like you and me found sobriety in AA through sharing their experience, strength and hope. Welcome to AA Live, brought to you by Alcoholics Anonymous. Iora Tefano, welcome to the AA Live radio show. This is the show that explores the ideas behind a way of recovery through the Alcoholics Anonymous program. It is lovely to have you out there listening this evening. I hope you all had a great Easter break. Mine, unfortunately, was spent in isolation as COVID arrived in our house a couple of weeks back and it has slowly spread itself through. I was the lucky one to get it last so I'm actually recording this show via Zoom tonight from home as I am still in isolation. I'm very hopeful to get uh, a negative test tomorrow morning so Uh, I can get out of the house. Uh, But hey, let's open with the serenity prayer this evening. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Now, I'll tell you a little bit about Alcoholics Anonymous. Our service is based purely on volunteers within the fellowship. This is just alcoholics who want to stop drinking. We support each other through the process by following the 12 steps and 12 traditions of AA. I'll read you the preamble because that explains it quite well. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So folks, I know you are used to hearing me talk with one of my co-hosts and uh, quite often in the last few months that, or six months I should say, that has been Chrissy. And unfortunately Chrissy won't be on the show. She's set up some come come through with some other commitments that uh, have taken priority for her at this time so I'd like to say a big thank you to Chrissy for the fun and laughter we've had while doing the show together Uh, we'll miss her company in the studio look you are listening to the AA live show in association with our friends from Otago Access Radio on 105.4 FM Down the tune, I never liked it fast. You wanna get there soon, I wanna get there last. It's not because I'm old, it's not. 
the life I led I always liked it slow That's what my mama said I'm lacing up my shoe But I don't want to run Or get there when I do Don't need no starting gun It's not because I'm old And it's not what dying does I always liked it slow Slow is in my blood I always liked it slow I never liked it fast With you it's got to go With me it's got to last It's not because I'm old It's not because I'm dead I always liked it slow That's what my mama said All your moves are swift All your turns are tight Let me catch my breath I thought we had all night I like to take my time I like to linger as it flies A weekend on your lips A lifetime in your eyes asked a friend of ours to do the daily reflection for us so let's have a listen to that this evening this is the daily reflection uh, for 19th april brothers and air defects we recovered alcoholics are not so much brothers in virtue as we are brothers in our defects and in our common strivings to overcome them as bill sees it page 167 the identification that one alcoholic has with another is mysterious, spiritual, almost incomprehensible. But it is there. I feel it. Today I feel that I can help people and that they can help me. It is a new and exciting feeling for me to care for somebody, to care for what they are feeling, hoping for, praying for, to know their sadness, joy, horror, sorrow, grief, you want to share in those feelings so that someone can have relief. I never knew how to do this or how to try. 
I never even cared. The fellowship of AA and God is teaching me how to care about others. What a great reading. I do I do enjoy this month. Uh, yeah, it's a good month, the fourth month. Um, so I'd just like to talk a little bit from that reading today is that my first meeting experience that I had, and firstly, the whole idea I was going to a meeting was something I never thought that I would have to do. I was definitely an alcoholic who used to make jokes about being an alcoholic. Therefore, if I was joking about the fact that I was a drinker, then it didn't matter. I was in control. I've since learned that being in control doesn't mean everything. But, yeah, people would say things about my drinking. I was only actually ever called an alcoholic once because I used to say it first before anybody else could. I realise that now. Anyway, my first first meeting experience, I went in there. I was hot and sweaty. I was incredibly nervous. The night before, something had happened to me that made me realise that I needed help. I was so desperate. I was so lost and I thought I was going mad. You know, the drink consumed me constantly. It wasn't just meaning, I don't just mean that I had it in my hand. I mean that if I wasn't drinking it, then I was thinking about it. And if I was, and, and those thoughts came through to either thinking about When can I have it? How can I have it? How can I get it? Where am I going to go to get it? Um, What shall I organise so that I can have a drink? It really took over everything of my life. And I had an incident happen on, on a Sunday night that happened that made me really completely understand how much it had taken over. And it scared me. It scared me so, so, so much um, that, yeah, I went looking for an AA meeting. It was the first ever AA meeting that I had been to. I walked in, not really sure what I was expecting. I think I was still in that world of it's all about me. I knew a drunk wasn't a brown paper bag person uh, in the bench in the park. I'd spent a good 20 years of my life hanging out with other alcoholics. I had purposely sought them out uh, in my work, in my personal life. They were people I wanted to party with. I married. I did all those things. Those All those people around me I made sure I was surrounded by people who drank like me so I didn't look any different to anybody else but when I walked into those rooms I found people that actually thought like me and when I say I would spend my time around people who were like me it turns out they weren't all like me at all While I was having my own fears, um, which I did live in a lot of fear, uh, 
resentment. Um, people knew how to stop drinking, the ones that I did hang out with. Uh, I didn't. And while we all would sit and go to the pub or do whatever we were doing together, drinking together, I don't think they filled up before they met. And I don't think they continued on when they went home. Um, and that was my issue. Uh, I didn't know when to stop. I was always the last one standing. Not a good thing. But when I walked into those rooms of AA and I listened to people, and the big thing was that I did find myself listening to the similarities, not the differences, but the things that they were talking about were things that I had experienced. And that was what was so bizarre because I thought I was the only one that experienced them to that extent. So I instantly felt welcome, which was really quite amazing for me. I look back now and realised I didn't really feel like I belonged anywhere. I was felt really alone. I was lonely, but the feeling of being alone was the worst part. I felt a little bit batshit crazy. <laughs> Probably shouldn't say that, sorry. Uh, I felt a bit nuts. And some of the things I learned about when I walked into those rooms was that I discovered I had been having blackouts since the beginning of my drinking. I didn't think that that was anything unusual, but it turns out it is unusual, and it's a really big sign that you have have a, a challenge with your drinking. Uh, you're allergic to alcohol, that you've got a sickness. That was the other big thing I learned in these rooms, was that I didn't have a problem with drinking so to speak, I had an illness uh, and uh, that illness meant that when I had a drink, a, an instant craving would be happening in my body and I would want more and more and more and I didn't know when to stop. But like, you know, a diabetic, you wouldn't start feeding yourself sugar, would you, by the spoonful, by the spoonful. Well, that's what I was doing. I was just filling myself with by the glassful and by the glassful. And I remember discovering about blackouts. And I had always thought that it was quite normal to have a blackout. Uh, there are many parts of my drinking days that I don't remember. Uh, there are many parts at the beginning of my drinking that I don't remember. I remember fractions of things, but a lot of it I don't. And that was such an eye-opener to me. So anyway, I hope that helps just a little bit, someone out there who's listening, that maybe you can recognise that in yourself. I don't know. It's a very strange thing to discover something you've been doing for 30 years is actually not a good thing for you. And while I possibly knew within myself there was no way, I don't know quite how to explain it, there was no way I was going to listen to somebody telling me to stop drinking. I wasn't listening to myself. 
I had many a relapse. Anyway, that's another discussion. Right, folks, I want to put some music on. I'm going to play The Eagles, Hotel California. This is a great song, one that I love from way back when. Enjoy. Some dance to remember Some dance 
Welcome back. Oh, I do love that song. I grew up listening to that and it has memories all the way through it. As I was mentioning earlier on the month of April, it coincides with step four. Step four is made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. That's a pretty big job and uh, resentment and fear are common elements in our inventories. I personally have lived with uh, resentment and fear through my whole life. And uh, I have discovered through my journey at AA that a lot of my resentments drove me to where I was going. Uh, my fears definitely drove me uh, to where I was going with the alcohol. Uh, <clears throat> eventually, it 
I lived on resentments. I lived on fear. I lived on survival mode. And the one juice that got me through that was alcohol. There would be times when I would stop drinking and then I would relapse. I have to say, this time is the first time that I have stopped drinking and I am completely comfortable with myself. Not completely comfortable, but (laughs) I'm not white knuckling it. Um, We, and that's involved a lot of work. That's uh, involved a lot of work, but it has been worth every penny of it. Oh my gosh, I have a life today that I live that I never dreamed I was going to be able to live. I'm constantly fascinated by the life I have today. And I get the chance to do a radio show like this, so it's great. Yeah, relapses, I couldn't even tell you how many of those I've had. I have sat many a time, sorry folks, that was my phone. I've sat many a time saying I'm not going to get up and have a drink today, I'm not going to have a drink this afternoon, I'm not going to have a drink this evening, and then by the time midday comes I've been working out how I'm going to have a drink, and by five o'clock I'm drinking. Uh, The pull of alcohol was so intense that it didn't matter how much common sense I have or had, I do have a fair amount of common sense. Uh, It didn't matter how much. I would let it fly out the window. I would think about how am I going to get it? Where am I going to get it? And that would consume half of my day as well because I'd already decided to have that fight all morning of I'm not going to, I'm not going to. And then I did. And... uh, Yeah, there were times when I would stop and that some of those times could be a week, could be a couple of months. I always have a bit of a laugh about dry July um, because for me, whenever one of those months came along, I would always make a joke about it it and say, why would I bother? Uh, I'm never dry. Um, And that was somebody telling me what I thought, you know, what I should be doing, and I wasn't really into that. Uh, I had a conversation with a friend yesterday, actually, about control and how uh, these days I'm not controlling, and this friend had to have a laugh at me because it was such a turnaround in personality. (laughs) Um, uh, Had a wee chuckle to themselves because now I don't feel like I have to control everything. I hand my day over every morning, I hand my will over to my higher power and I let my day just happen. I don't carry resentments anymore. I've let things from my past go. I've worked on my fears and I don't have those fears like I used to. They were all-encompassing. And I have seen what my shortcomings are and I can recognise those within myself And I work on them. They don't ever leave, but I work on them to be a better person every day. And I help other people. And it turns out that while I'm concentrating on other people and handing my will over and so forth, I actually become a better person. And my life becomes better. It's really amazing. 
I just can't say enough how much better my life is today than it was just over two and a half years ago. I do live a life today that I never thought I could have. It really does have peaceful moments in it, um, contentment, um, pure joy. I mean, yeah, there are days, more of those days than not. So, no, don't get me wrong, life still has its challenges, but I find now that I have the tools to be able to look at those challenges, not let them take over. Uh, they were always drowned out by a drink. Uh, now I have tools in my toolbox that help me get through them without picking up a drink. And my most important thing is to not pick up a drink today. And every day I ask for that, and uh, I'm not white-knuckling it. I am living life. It really is truly amazing. Anyway, folks, I want to put another song on. Now, this one is Boz Skaggs' Lido Shuffle. I remember listening to this song a lot with my father uh, as we used to drive around the car. He'd smoke a cigar and I would smoke a cigarette and it would be summer and we would have the windows down. And uh, it just reminds me a little bit of sunshine and laughter and fun times. Enjoy the song. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
I hope you enjoyed that. I really do love that song. It's quite a good one. Now, I wanted to, because I've been in isolation, folks, I wasn't able to go out and interview anybody wonderful. Uh, So I've actually found a reading of a story from an alcoholic that I'd like to read to you from the big book. And the big book is the uh, book that we have here at Alcoholics Anonymous. And this story is called Student of Life. So please enjoy this story. Living at home with her parents, she tried using willpower to beat the obsession to drink. But it wasn't until she met another alcoholic and went to an AA meeting that sobriety took hold. I started drinking at age 18, rather a late bloomer by today's standards. But after I started, the disease of alcoholism hit me with a vengeance and made up for lost time. After I had been drinking for several years and seriously wondering if I did indeed have a problem with alcohol, I read one of the Are You an Alcoholic quiz-type checklists. Much relieved, I found that almost nothing applied to me. I had never lost a job, a spouse, children, or any material possessions through alcohol. The fact that my drinking hadn't allowed me to gain any of those things crossed my mind only after I came into AA. I can't blame one ounce of my drinking on my upbringing. My parents were loving and supportive and have been married 35 years. No one else in my family exhibits alcoholic drinking or alcoholic behaviour. For some reason, despite the resources available to me growing up, I developed into an adult woman terrified of the world around me. I was extremely insecure. Though I was careful to hide this fact, I was unable to handle and understand my emotions. I always felt as if everyone else knew what was going on and what they were supposed to be doing. And my life was the only one that was delivered without an instruction book. When I discovered alcohol, everything changed. I took my first real drink my first night at college. I attended what was to be the first of many, many fraternity parties. I didn't care for the beer, so I went for the vat of innocuous-looking punch. I was told it was laced with grain alcohol. I don't remember how many drinks I had, and my recollections of the actual events of the rest of the night are fuzzy, but I do remember this much. When I was drinking, I was okay. I understood Everything made sense. I could dance, talk, and enjoy being in my own skin. It was as if I had been in an unfinished jigsaw puzzle with one piece missing. As soon as I took a drink, the last piece instantly and effortlessly snapped into place. I don't remember getting home that night, and I woke up the next morning completely dressed and in full makeup. I was sick as a dog, but I managed to crawl into the shower and prepare for my first college class. I sat through the entire class, pleading with my eyes to the professor to let us out early. He kept us to the bell, and when it rang, I flew into the woman's room, crashed into the first stall and threw everything up. The insanity of the disease had already manifested itself. I recall thinking as I knelt retching in the stall that this was fantastic. Life was great. I'd finally found the answer. 
alcohol. Yes, I overdid it the night before, but I was new to this game. I only had to learn how to drink right, and I was set. I attempted to drink right for the next eight years. My progression was phenomenal. There is absolutely no period in my drinking career that can be described as social drinking. I blacked out almost every time I put alcohol in my system, but I decided I could live with that. There was a small price to pay for the power and confidence alcohol gave me. After drinking for less than six months, I was almost a daily drinker. I wound up on academic probation. I had always been on the honour roll in high school. My first semester, sophomore year, and my response to that was to change my major. <laughs> my life on campus revolved around parties, drinking, and men. I surrounded myself with people who drank as I did. Even though several people had already expressed their concern over my drinking, I rationalised that. I was only doing what every other red-blooded college student did. Somehow, I managed to graduate. But while most of my friends were securing good jobs and abruptly stopping their boozing, I seemed to be left behind on campus. I had resolved that I, too, would now settle down and drink properly. But to my frustration, I found I could not do so. I took a pitiful sales job that paid next to nothing, so I continued to live with my parents. I kept this job for two years for one reason. It allowed me to drink with minimal interference. My pattern was to pick up a fifth of whiskey somewhere during my round of appointments and keep it under the car seat with me. When I got home in the evening, I drank at least half the fifth in front of the television set and watched reruns until I passed out. And I did this every night by myself for almost two years. I had become a daily isolated drinker and was starting to get a little nervous. My behaviour at this point was textbook. I was stashing bottles all over the house sneaking drinks from my parents' small supply when I ran out, rationing the number of bottles I threw away at the same time so the trash bags wouldn't clink, refilling my parents' vodka and gin bottles with water, and so on. I had also resorted to videotaping my favourite reruns while I was watching them because I always blacked out before the ending. About this time, the TV movie... My name is Bill W. About the co-founder of AA was aired on television. Intrigued, I sat down with my whiskey and soda bottles to watch it. When Bill whipped out a flask in the car to bolster himself before a visit with his father-in-law, I heaved a sigh of relief. Oh, I'm not that bad, I thought to myself. <laughs> I then proceeded to get drunk and to black out. I don't remember any more of the movie. My parents were at a total loss. I was going nowhere and I was irritable and hostile. Since they had no experience with alcoholism, they had no idea what was wrong with me and what to do about it, and neither did I. I knew I drank too much and that my life was miserable, but I never made the connection between those two conditions. 
My parents made the only suggestion that then made sense to them. They offered to help me financially if I wanted to go back to school. Seeing no other way out, I jumped at the opportunity. I spent two years in graduate school, 750 miles from home. I can honestly say I know why they call it a geographical cure. For about nine months, I was able to cut my drinking down sharply. I still drank almost every day, but not to the point of my usual stupors, and I didn't black out very often. I was able to concentrate on my schoolwork that first year and make lots of friends. However, geographical cures are only temporary. Mine lasted a little less than a year. After about 10 months or so, I slowly started to slide back into my old patterns. Steadily, I worked my way back to the same quantities of whiskey I drank at home. And the blackouts returned. My grades started to drop and my friends started to wonder. I even began watching reruns again. I had brought my homemade videotapes with me to school. Fortunately, I managed to graduate, but I had gone nowhere. After graduation, I returned to my parents' house as I had been unsuccessful in securing a job. I was back. I was back in my old bedroom, back to the same routine of drinking every evening until I passed out, and it was getting worse. I was starting earlier and earlier and consuming more and more liquor. I had no job, no friends. I saw no one but my parents. I was beyond frustration at this point. Hadn't I done everything that was expected of me? Hadn't I graduated from college and gone on to earn a master's degree? I had never gone to jail, crashed any cars or got into trouble like a real alcoholic would. When I was working, I never missed a day because of drinking. I never ran myself into debt, nor had I abused a spouse or children. Sure, I drank a lot, but I didn't have a problem. How could I when I hadn't done any of the things that prove you're an alcoholic? So what was the problem? All I really wanted was a decent job so I could be independent and productive. I could not understand why life just wouldn't cut me a break. I did odd projects around the house for my parents just to earn my keep until I took a job for a local entrepreneur. This job did not offer much opportunity for advancement, nor did it pay very well, but it got me out of the house and it was challenging in many ways. At this point, I was in a vicious battle to control my drinking. I knew that if I took only one drink, I'd lose complete control and drink until I passed out. Nevertheless, I tried day after day to beat this obsession with alcohol. I picked up a half gallon of whiskey one day after work and drank over one third of it in less than four hours that same night. I was so sick the next day, but I made it to work. When I got home from work, I sat on my parents' sofa and knew, I knew I would start working on the half gallon again, despite the fact that I was still very ill from the night before. I also knew that I did not want to drink. Sitting on that sofa, I realised that the old, I could stop if I want to, I just don't want to, didn't apply here because I did not want to drink. I watched myself get up off the sofa 
and pour myself a drink. When I sat back down on the sofa, I started to cry. My denial had cracked. I believe I hit bottom that night, but I didn't know it then. I just thought I was insane. I proceeded to finish the half gallon. Six months later, my boss flew me to California for a trade show. I hated working the shows. Oh, but I love to travel, so I went. I was extremely nervous about this trip because my boss liked to party and we were flying in a guy our age from Hawaii to work the show with us. At this point, I had managed to hold together 31 days without a drink and I was terrified that I would give in to the temptation of being on an all-expenses-paid trip in a fun city with two party animals. It had been very difficult for me to stay dry for 31 days. The obsession spoke to me every day. I arrived late on a Friday and managed not to drink that night. The next morning at the show, I was offered the gift that changed my life. Our Hawaiian sales rep seemed frustrated. I thought he was disappointed that he hadn't managed to write an order for a couple he had just finished working with. I went over to console him. He said no, his mood had nothing to do with the couple. Instead, he explained that just this week he had lost his girlfriend, dropped out of school, lost his apartment, and also lost his full-time job. And he added, I'm an alcoholic. I've been sober for a year and a half, except I just drank again this past week. I'm a mess about it. At that very instant, I heard one word in my head. The word was now. I knew it meant say something now. To my amazement, I spoke the words, Mike, I think I'm one too. Mike's mood instantly changed. I recognised now it was hope. We started talking. Among other things, I told him I hadn't had a drink for about a month, but didn't go to AA. When he asked why I had avoided AA, I told him it was because I didn't think I had hit bottom. Somehow he didn't laugh, but said, you hit bottom when you stop digging. He took me to my first three AA meetings. It was the second meeting that clinched my resolve to pursue sobriety. There were about 35 people in attendance, but the space was small, so the meeting seemed very crowded. Being from out of town, I stood up and introduced myself when asked to by the chairperson. Later on in the meeting, the chairperson called on me to share. I got up and somehow walked over to the microphone and podium. I've never been so nervous in my life, but the words came out naturally as I described the events that led up to the meeting that night. As I spoke, I looked around the room. More importantly, I looked at the faces of the people in the room and I saw it. I saw the understanding, the empathy, the love. Today, I believe I saw my higher power for the first time in those faces. While still up at the podium, it hit me. This is what I had been looking for all my life. This was the answer right here in front of me. Indescribable relief came over me. I knew the fight was over. Later on that night, still reeling in the ecstasy of relief and hope, I remembered the afternoon in the bathroom stall at college after my first class when I was so certain I'd found the answer in alcohol. I could clearly see now that had been a lie 
That is the description that fits alcohol best for me. It is a lie, an evil, insidious lie. And I chased that lie for a long time, even when it was obvious that I was going nowhere and killing myself while doing it. At that AA meeting, when I looked out over all those faces, I finally saw the truth. When I returned home, I threw myself into AA. I did 90 meetings in 90 days, got a sponsor and joined a home group. I did everything that was suggested. I made coffee, took commitments and got involved with service. I rode the roller coaster of early sobriety. Every second was worth it to get to where I am today. It is very important to my recovery to study and work the steps. To this day, I still make at least two step meetings a week. I have a sponsor who guides me through the steps gently but firmly with a sure-handedness I hope I am able to emulate with the two women I now sponsor. The promises have begun to materialise for me and there's still so much work to do. It is almost impossible to adequately describe how much the programme has given me. Even in just these six short years, I have been financially supporting myself in my own apartment for five years and plan to buy a house next year. I've secured a good job with a promising future. My income has increased more than 150% since I got sober. But just as material losses are not necessary to indicate alcoholism, material gains are not the true indications of sobriety. The real rewards aren't material in nature. I have friends now because I know how to be a friend and I know how to nurture and encourage valuable friendships. Instead of the prolonged one-night stands I used to call my boyfriends, there is a special man in my life I've been involved with for almost five years. And most importantly, I know who I am. I know my goals, dreams, values and boundaries. And I know how to protect, nurture and validate them. Those are the true rewards of sobriety. And they're what I was looking for all along. I am so grateful that my higher power stepped in to show me the way to the truth. I pray every day that I never turn my back on it. I came to AA in order to stop drinking. What I received in return was my life. Hope you enjoyed that story. I really enjoyed that story. I enjoyed reading that to you. Folks, I just want to let you know there is actually no membership fees to join AA. All you need to want to do is look into giving up drinking or be at that place of desperation, as was described in that story, where you know you need to give it up. Come in, sit in a meeting, start the journey with us. I'd like to thank you for spending the evening with me today. It's been great to have this evening with you. And I'd like to remind our listeners that if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. We have an 0800 number you can call. It's 0800 AA Works. That's 0800-229-6757. We also have a website. Now, the website is full of information. It's uh, got lists of meetings. It's got information. It's got 
uh, little quizzes that you can do to find out where you stand with drinking. Uh, and their website is aa.org.nz. We can also take your letters at P.O. Box 6115, Dunedin North. That's Dunedin 9059. Please don't hesitate to post us a letter. And you can send us something too at our, our website here in Otago, if you want, on aaotago.org.nz. We're going to finish with a song this evening, folks. Thank you very much. Take care of yourselves out there. Until next time, Matiwa, everyone. This is Tracy Chapman talking about a revolution. Thank you. Don't you know talking about a revolution sounds Don't you know talking about a revolution sounds like a whisper While they're standing in the welfare lines Crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation Wasting time in the unemployment lines Sitting around waiting for a promotion Don't you know talking about a revolution sounds Who are people gonna rise up and get their share? People gonna rise up and take what's there. Don't you know you better run, 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 This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.